0: Tickets? Check. Popcorn and beverage? Check. It's showtime. Local talk that's moving the needle. From the iHub Radio Screening Room, this is Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza.
1: Hey, welcome back to Flicks and Picks. You know, what I really love about Reviewing movies is honestly the fact that there's so much talk about, and so much, even during the slow times, there's always something new going on. It's like Hollywood continues wanting to uh, renovate, or the fact that it's I wouldn't say necessarily renovate, but it's like we're trying to make movies still relevant, even in times of struggle like the coronavirus. And I think that's actually a really nice thing to be witnessing is that we're still trying to have discussions about film that we're still trying to figure out what is the best way to make movies and all that and I I think that's really nice so this week I got I'm going to talk about the movie Scoob now Scoob is the newest film based on the Scooby-Doo franchise that originally started in the 60s with a show called Scooby-Doo Where Are You which is a pretty good TV show for for what it is, it's not great television. It never was. And I'm so glad people are starting to acknowledge that it's not great television, but it's more of a fun, um, I would even say, not, e- I wouldn't even say Guilty Pleasure. It's just a fun show to watch. You know, it's not profound television. But later installments like Scooby Doo, Mystery Incorporated, they, they do tend to be much more deeper and thoughtful um, examinations of the Scooby Doo legacy, but not necessarily Scoob. And we'll talk about that in the segment. But later on, I'm going to talk about Avatar The Last Airbender because it is coming back on Netflix and it is currently one of the most popular, if not the most popular thing on Netflix right now. Is it worth revisiting? I say yes, so we'll talk about it later on. And a couple movie news. There are three big news stories that I have to talk about at some point in this program. Uh, The Snyder Cut. We got some news about that. And Batwoman drama. What's going on with that? And finally, I have some quick news and thoughts about the Simpsons that is currently playing on Disney Plus. We'll talk about that. But first, I want to talk about Scoob. Now, Scoob, I will say Scoob. It is I'm going to say okay. That's the best way to put it. It's okay. And I know that some people might say wait a minute that th- you don't sound very authentic in saying that I have a lot of issues with Scoob and it's not because of anything ghastly or anything like that it's not at all inoffensive. it's not offensive but I also think that it's not necessarily inoffensive in the sense that it, it that it has flaws I'm going to be honest and say that Scoob it it's just kind of one of those movies that kids are gonna probably watch on the TV. And by the way, before I tell you what it's about or anything like that, Scoob is available on Amazon Prime or YouTube or Fandango. It's available where you can buy digital movies, and you can actually purchase a cop- a digital copy of it for twenty four ninety nine instead of the way that Trolls World Tour did it, which was basically renting it for two days for nineteen ninety nine, which I didn't think was a great way of doing it either, but Hey, that's that I'm 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 at least seeing how the business model is kind of being influenced. And I think that I would recommend if parents do purchase this, um that they do actually buy it, that they don't rent it. Because the fact is that I've I've been told by a lot of parents that when kids like something, they like to watch them over and over again. So I guess if my recommendation is to purchase it because it's only $24.99 versus renting it for two days for $19.99, I mean, if you're gonna spend more than $20 or at least more than $15, you might as well purchase the darn thing instead of renting it if you're going to do that. Um, At least you'll have rewatchability value and maybe, maybe you'll be able to show it to a family member who actually might like it. You never know. You never know, there's a lot of possibilities it it won't be a waste of money necessarily if you don't like the film. But that being said, the plot of Scoob follows the mystery gang as they are enlisted by the blue Falcon to prevent Dick dastardly from opening up the underworld and unleashing, um, hell on earth. And, Primarily, the plot does center specifically on Scooby and Shaggy as they are the ones who are more likely to be enlisted by the Blue Falcon because they feel a little less val- less than valued in the mystery gang at Mystery Incorporated, I mean. And then they do their own adventure. And then the other three characters, characters—um, Daphne, Velma, Fred, who are the three other characters in Scooby-Doo let's just say they don't get to have much screen time, which I'm going to say this for a Scooby-Doo movie. It is, does not feel like it wants to be a Scooby-Doo movie. And what I mean by that is that it constantly feels like it wants to be something else. It it wants to be a Scooby-Doo movie, but it more than likely wants to be a film The first film, the introductory film in a Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe or shared universe or however you would say it. And I got to say, that's not a great business model to do at first. I think that what you need to do is establish one solid film. And sure, you can have Easter eggs. That's how they did it in the first Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, which was Iron Man. It's not the first movie based on a Marvel property. There seems to be a lot of confusion about that. But it is the first film specifically created for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And for me, that what that did was it was a great movie, but it also left hints and clues and things for later films to sort of elaborate on. And I think that Scoob's biggest mistake is that it kind of jumps forth into the idea that, hey, we're going to assume that this is going to be a success, so we're just already going to throw in plot points and build up characters and already do crossovers without really thinking through the implications of how that would damage the intellectual property. I think that the idea of bringing in the Blue Falcon and the Dino Dog Wonder characters, they kind of, in my opinion, they come in, but they feel almost... Irrelevant. I don't know how to put this, but they just don't feel like they matter or in in the context of a Scooby-Doo film. I don't think that they really make sense. And I don't think putting them together in the same movie at this point doesn't make a lot of sense. I feel like they work best for a sequel. I feel feel like when we're going to establish characters, I think that they take away too much screen time from the Scooby-Doo gang. Like the fact is that Daphne, Fred and Velma, who I mentioned earlier, they get sidelined. Their subplot is nearly non-existent. They actually, for the most part, don't actually solve a mystery. We already know what the mystery kind of is by the end of the film. Like we already kind of know what Dick Dastardly's plan is and we already know what they want and we kind of get an idea of what Scooby-Doo's role in all of it is and I feel like they do actually kind of reveal things but they don't necessarily affect the plot as much as the film wants you to think they do i personally feel like that this film wants to build this universe without really thinking about its own characters first like you have to start from the ground up you can't just go into it thinking you can fly you have to land you have to be on the ground to begin with in order to fly i mean people don't our people aren't born flying. You know what I mean? They kind of have to, you know, birds, for example, they have to, you know, they're given birth to at a nest. This film decides, you know what, we're just going to fly. And I don't think that's a good idea for a Hanna-Barbera shared universe. And I don't know if this is going to be a success. I mean, it's already the top rental right now. So maybe it is going to be a success, but let's Let's wait a little bit longer to see if Scoob 2 gets greenlit. I'm thinking that it might, but I'm not going to be too optimistic or pessimistic about it either way. I think that the other problem that this film has is just that it's so overpacked with these characters, but it feels like a Frankenstein script because it has all these elements stitched together. And I think the fact is that without the mystery, you don't have much of a Scooby-Doo Um a uh, Scooby-Doo film to begin with. Like there's no Scooby-Doo storyline really. It just feels like they mix too many things. Like they got the wacky races villain in this and it's it's just doesn't make sense. Too many elements and I feel like the film wants to try to pass off that it has a mystery, but then it jokes off about it, makes jokes about it and it's like, really? It it just feels like the film doesn't know what it wants to be. But the first 15 minutes though, I will say, just to be on the positive side, they are good. Yeah, they're good. I'm going to say it. They're good. It They do have a nice nostalgic feel to them. They get most of it right. I personally thought that the first 15 minutes for what they are, which is a minor origin story about the Mystery Incorporated gang and how Scooby and Shaggy met. And I feel like it does do a good job of, of establishing their friendship, which is a major theme later on in the film. So if anything, they did almost get that theme down pretty well. I'm going to give the film even that, that they managed the theme of friendship Pretty well, but that the whole film, in my personal opinion, they don't really do anything beyond these 15 minutes to really feel like a Scooby Doo film. And these 15 minutes, they do this thing where they introduce the gang and then they show their first case and then they do sort of a recreation of the opening credits of the first. Uh, Scooby-Doo series, which is Scooby-Doo, Where are you? And I think that actually fits really well. I thought it, they did a really respectful job at first and I thought that the modern day references made sense for these characters. Like it makes sense why Velma would want to dress up like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It makes a lot of sense. So for me, it makes it makes sense within the context of having modern day references because Scooby-Doo is already a dated, um, I would say dated franchise to begin with the original series had always had a bunch of celebrity cameos they had a bunch of dated music in it too back in the day, too and they even had a laugh track that that just not <laughs> why would there be a laugh track in an animated series that's it's dated it's it's it's, it's a thing from the past I'm not saying laugh traps or laugh tracks are, but the fact that it's an animated- film, uh, animated series and it has a laugh track that that already makes it dated It already feels like. It already feels weird. So for me, having uh, modern day um, references doesn't feel out of place for a Scooby-Doo film. And I think the first 15 minutes, they really do go out of their way to to have the appropriate amount of references. And they have a mystery in there. And they do have compelling enough characters in the first 15 minutes. I did like the characters when they were first introduced. But I'm going to be honest and say that the film, as it progresses, doesn't get better. In fact, it gets worse. And I don't think it gets to being terrible. It's just that it feels more out of touch. At first, the first 15 minutes, they feel like they really do connect to an audience that grew up with Scooby-Doo while at the same time introducing Scooby-Doo to a younger audience. But then afterwards, it feels like it wants to abandon what the first 15 minutes established, which was this mystery and this group of friends who solve mysteries together. I feel like the first time they have a reference to, I would say, um, a celebrity. They have a reference to Simon Cowell in there, which by the way, doesn't make sense. I mean, why would you want to make a Simon Cowell reference at this point? I mean, it's not 2002 or 2003 anymore. It doesn't make sense. And I feel like this film really deviates from something that could have been much better. And that's really a shame. I really did feel that this film could have been better first 15 minutes are promising but i wanted to leave the rest of my criticism for the next segment because i do actually want to compare this to something like zombie island which is a good scooby-doo movie and the live action movie so let's see how it holds up to that so far i would say it's a two-star movie could have been better but after 15 minutes just doesn't really go above and beyond and it seems to deviate too much in my opinion but stay tuned we're going to talk a little bit more about how Scoob compares to other Scooby-Doo franchises uh, franchise entries in just a moment you're listening to Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza on iHub Radio stay tuned
0: Radio Reinventing talk radio in the Coachella Valley. Homemade for the rest of us. From the iHub Radio screening room, this is Flicks and Fix with Brian Mendoza.
1: Now, I mentioned earlier that Scoob was a movie that I think primarily children might find a lot of joy in. But I'm going to be honest and say that I think that there is a better... Ver- entity and en- entry whatever entry in this um franchise that i think people will most likely enjoy more with their children and it is available on netflix scooby-doo on zombie island now if you grew up with scooby-doo in the 1990s you have heard of scooby-doo on i on zombie island it's a 1998 direct-to-video animated um entry in this franchise. Now, I say animated because this franchise has had live-action films before, and they've even had live-action direct-to-video films. And just to make it clear, those live-action films, they had problems too. So Scoob is not even among the worst that the Scooby-Doo franchise has ever put out. And I will say, at least the Scooby-Doo live-action movies, they wanted to be Scooby-Doo films, and they tried to have mysteries in them. So a Scoob is just about on the same level as those live action films, and they're not even that good, in my opinion, either. But Scooby Doo on a Zombie Island is an actual good movie. It follows the Scooby gang after they kind of have a bit of a, let's say, a separate, a year long hiatus from doing Mystery Incorporated. Um, they Shaggy, Scooby, Fred, Velma, and Daphne, the gang, they reunite and they go and investigate a Bayou Island who is set, that is set to be haunted by the ghost of a pirate named Morgan Moonscar. Now, this is a very fascinating film because to me, it doesn't have to be this good. It, it is beautiful to look at. I think it's beautifully animated. And I think that the darker tone, the fact that this film decides to have the guts to be as dark as it wants to be. That's what I love about this film is that it's dark and that it actually contains real supernatural creatures as part of the mystery rather than people in costumes, which is typically the formula of a Scooby-Doo film. So the fact that it breaks the formula and decides to be a little bit more of a risk taker is already something that I got to say really sticks out. And I think that the film, because it is so much more darker and it tries to be a little bit more intelligent in its writing i think that it does a good job of honoring the um the saturday morning cartoon vibe to it like i mean the animation isn't much higher than a lot of saturday morning cartoons but it is much more beautiful to look at and flowing scoob also has good animation too don't get me wrong it, it looks beautiful to look at and i think the colorful aesthetic works well for Scoob. But I think a lot of kids will really respond much better to the darker tones and much more engaging, sto- engaging animation and story that Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island has. I think what I like a lot about this film is that it, it's willing to just go there with how dark it can get and that it's really willing to have compelling... It has a compelling mystery, but it also makes you like the like the characters at the bayou. It's not just the gang that gets character development, but you also grow to like the characters that they meet and interact with. Um, I guess for me, I really want to say is that this the cast for this film, and I'm gonna address this. I'm gonna really address this. Matthew Lillard being out of uh, being um, replaced in Scoob was a bad idea. Will Forte, who I believe is on the same level of celebrity, I don't think he's that much more famous than Matthew Lillard. I don't think he did a good job as Shaggy. And so for me, the cast for Scoob was really one of the weaknesses, except for Frank Welker as um, uh, Scooby and Jason Isaacs as Dick Dastiedry. Uh They are both, both the highlights of that film. But Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, on the other hand, You have Scott Innes. You got Billy West. Mary Kate Bergman. Now that's a name we haven't heard in years. It's she her. Her loss in the world of animation and voice acting is a real tragedy. It really is. That's that's someone you should know. She's a very talented woman. She did, she did the original voices on South Park of the women, and she did a few voices here and there. But she plays Daphne in this, and it's so nice to hear her voice again after so long. And then Frank Welker's in this, too, so you're supporting him, too. And B.G. Ward, they have a lot of good... Castmates in this, including Jim Cummings and Mark Hamill, these are people that are actually really good in the world of voice acting. These are voice acting legends, and I think that it's actually really remarkable that they really do go out of their way to incorporate real voice actors. And trust me, it makes a difference when you have voice actors as opposed to actors who have never done voice acting outside of um, movies like Scoob. So for me, it really it really strikes a difference. It really does. And I love I love the cast for this film because Scooby-Doo on Zombie Alien, they really do cast them to sound exactly like they should sound. Like when I see these characters, I do hear the voices that these actors put out. And they're exactly how they should be. Whereas in Scoob, I don't really like the voice they give to Shaggy and the voices for the other cast members. The actors don't even put in much emotion or inflection. So it's just disappointing. So... I do want to recommend Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island as an alternative to Scoob. It is really smart, it's a very beautiful looking animated film, it's compelling. And sure, it, it has It's a Saturday morning vibe to it and it, it is a direct-to-video so don't take that with a grain of salt, some of the lo- of love that I have for this film, but it is much better than Scoob. So if you want to show your kids a Scooby-Doo film. Please show Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. And heck, why don't you watch it for yourself too? Even if you don't have kids, watch Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. It is available on Netflix to watch, so it won't cost you a dime unless you, of course, have to pay for Netflix. But Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, that's my recommendation for a Scooby-Doo-related property that you should watch. Hey, stay tuned. We're going to talk about Avatar The Last Airbender. Does it hold up? And if you've never seen it before, why haven't you? We'll talk about that. Stay tuned.
0: Live from the Coachella Valley, he calls it as he sees it. This is Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza on iHub Radio.
1: You know, I got to say that Avatar Last Airbender being on Netflix has been something that has constantly been showing up on my timeline on Facebook, Twitter, and everywhere. It's something you're going to notice if you have a certain type of generation in your, um, in your feed and all that. And also just in general, if you are following like any sort of person that has seen the show, they will talk about it. Now you may be asking yourself, what is Avatar The Last Airbender? I've never heard of this, or I've heard of it very vaguely and I'm not sure. Didn't it get turned into a really bad movie back in the 2000s? Yeah, that's true, but we're we're gonna ignore that movie because that movie was bad and it should have never been made to be honest, or at least not been made the way it was. You know, I try to be cool about um, adaptations of television shows. Sometimes they can be good, sometimes they can't be. But we'll leave it at we'll leave it at that. Movie acknowledged, but dismissed. So Avatar is set in in this world that's kind of in that's actually inspired from um, a very Asian. Aesthetic. It borrows a lot of like Chinese, Chinese aesthetic. It, but it also combines um, animation from Japan. It actually looks like a um, Japanese style animated series. It it combines anime with American cartoons, but it has a lot of like imagery from East and South Asia. Um, the Inuit communities and the New World societies. So there's a lot of things in this franchise that kind of combines a very unique aesthetic. So that's the first thing that I'm going to praise about the series. It's It's willingness to combine all these different aesthetics from like American animation to anime to Southeast Asia to Chinese martial arts to even, heck, New World culture. They, they're able to combine all these things together very beautifully. So you might be asking yourself, okay, that's nice, but what is this about? So the franchise for Avatar The Last Airbender is a series that's centered around the journey of a 12-year-old boy named Aang who is considered the Avatar. Now, the Avatar is a man who can master the four elements, water, earth, fire, and air. He is actually the last person of his nation, which is the Air Nomads. And along with a group of friends, Sokka, Katara, and then later on a character named Toph, they are actually, ha- actually trying to defeat the Fire Nation, or at least end the Fire Nation's war against the other nations of the world. And it's up to him to restore balance in the world. The f- and it's also and at the same time it also follows the story of Zuko, a char- He is the exiled prince of the Fire Nation who wants to capture Aang, and he is accompanied by his uncle named Iroh, who's actually a really wise and compelling character. And so, throughout the series, you kind of see this parallel story between all these characters, and how they grow and change over time over the three seasons. Because this show only lasted three seasons, and approximately about 61 episodes but oh boy did this show not waste a single episode i mean sure it has its weaker episodes which which are the um episodes of the great divide and one other one but you know the great divide every show has a weak episode which is fine it's fine it's not even that bad compared to some bad television i've seen but Avatar Last Airbender is one of those shows that really wisely uses every single episode to advance its story in some way or another. It's serialized storytelling. So you learn so much about the characters. And I love the fact that each character, from Aang, Sakura, Katara, to even the villain Zuku, who... Really is only really the villain for the first season. I like the fact that they're given complex and rich writing to accompany their arcs. It's just it's just one of those things where nobody is the same by the end of the series. A character like Aang, who is very enthusiastic, hopeful, and naive in the beginning of the series, becomes a little bit more wiser and a little bit more cautious by the end of the series. Sokka Sokka becomes. More of a mother figure towards the end, but the fact is that I love the fact that this show, while Sakura is kind of like a mentor figure towards ang that they also allow her to, you know, have her own problems and grow. These types, whenever they have women on screen that play a certain type of maternal um, um, role on the show, they never give them that much agency outside of that. I and mean, I love the fact that Sakura. Is not only someone who gets easily frustrated, but she's someone who has to learn her own, she still has to learn on her own end. The fact that she's still just a kid like Aang is very important. And I also like the fact that by the end of the series, Katara, he is a very funny character in the beginning of the show. And he still remains funny. But the fact that he knows how to be a little bit more mature by the end of the series, and you see the fact that he goes through a lot, he actually really does go through a lot by the end of the show. And even characters like Toph and Azula, who are characters that don't change as much, but they do have a lot of growth by the end of the show. And I think one of the best storylines the show ever had was the fact that Zuko went from being a very strong villain to being more of a complex character by the end the fact that you can see this character wanting to slowly move away from being just the villain and that he can find his own honor in different ways like he can build his own legacy and he doesn't have to rely on the legacy of his father the fire the fire lord i think this is a show where if you really like great character development and great storytelling Avatar The Last Airbender is ideal for you. I think this is a show that really builds upon the world. I think it has excellent world building. The fact that you not only get to know these different nations and their culture, it's very unique. And I think the fact is that you can almost write an entire Wikipedia article on each and every single culture that the characters encounter. Because in the first season, they have to... Go to one island, one nation, and then the other nation for the second season, and the third, na- uh, the third season, another nation. Like first season, they got to go to the water nation and really like learn about that, and the earth, and then fire, which is the final season. I like the fact that we get to learn so much about the culture and the people within those uh, within those communities that they feel just as important as the main characters, and I love the fact that the show very wisely picks and chooses characters to kind of go on this journey. Like I like the fact that there's a character named Toff who shows up in season two and she stays for the rest of the show. And I think that she has a lot to contribute. I also really got to say is that this show really does touch upon some really beautiful, um, well, tough subjects, but I got to say they touch upon them very beautifully, which is the subject of free will, free choice, genocide, totalitarianism, fascism. I think it does a really good job of talking about these topics in a way that not only makes it easy for um, entertainment, uh, for children to understand, but adults can appreciate the way it's tackled. Trust me, if you want to see a show that tackled genocide really brilliantly this is a show that does it and i think the fact that you go you learn so much about these cultures only to hear about the genocide that happened to them you really understand the effects of genocide from the show because ang is the only one of his nation to really um to be alive he's the only one of the air nation, of uh, the air nomads. so you really see his pain and stuff his pain and survivor's guilt out of that and i think that's actually a really wonderful thing that the show can express and I think that it's a very mature writing for this show I've seen a lot of shows quote-unquote made for adults that don't even tackle these subjects at all well I've seen shows that you know kind of throw out this idea about genocide but then they don't really know how to adequately address the subject I think that Avatar The Last Airbender is one of those shows that really knows how to address the tough subjects and I gotta say, it is one of the best TV shows I've ever seen, especially on, um, especially animated shows. It's one of the best animated shows ever made, but I think it's also one of the great TV shows of all time. A lot of people have said that it is, and I think that I'm glad, I'm glad it's gotten a lot of like um, recognition for that. That it's getting a lot of recognition for, for its value, not just as an animated series, but for just being a series overall. And it, this series is rewarding it is a very rewarding series because as you watch um, character moments pay off character arcs do actually go somewhere and there are, and even though sadly one of the actors that everyone likes on the show passed away he is actually given a really beautiful tribute episode and you feel like the character has kind the character was retired in a really nice way and I and I feel like this show takes a lot of risks in its storytelling the fact that it's willing to go into different territories with its themes and the fact is that the characters do change and they these are risky storytelling because honestly for a lot of shows that are aimed for a younger demographic, they tend to underestimate the demographic that they're catering to. They get the impression that you have to have the villains continuously be evil. You have to have the heroes continuously be good. You can't have a, you have to do over the top schemes. I like the fact that the villains stop being dumb villains from the 1980s and actually are given motivations and their own agendas. And they're given complex, complex feelings as bad guys. And I think the fact is that they really know how to write villains on this show, but they also take the risk of making them less villainous over time and I also really got to say that the show does allow characters to kind of make jokes and like play around a lot and they do address the fact that they are kids in a very adequate and intelligent way. And I and I got to say this is a beautifully animated show too. Beautiful animation. I I very rarely say that about television animation because a lot of television animation doesn't look great. And last week I talked about adult animation, and I I did not mention that a lot of it doesn't look good. But Avatar: Last Airbender spends no time spends so much time on making its animation look beautiful. It does not waste a single drop of ink on the screen. And I gotta say one final thing. I gotta really say about the show. It's fun. It's a fun show to watch. It's not only very smart, rewarding, and it's a risk-taking show, it's fun. You can have so much fun watching it. Characters are lively, there's so much going on, and you I just can't believe it. I it was so good when I saw it. I was so impressed by how good the show was when it first when I first saw it. And to be honest with you, you should watch it. If you were reluctant to watch it, because let's be honest, It's a show that's aimed primarily for a younger audience. You are missing out. You really are. If you are somebody above the age of 40, 50, 30, 60, and you've never seen Avatar The Last Airbender, you're really missing out. And if you think that, oh, because it's made for for Nickelodeon, that somehow it doesn't relate to you, it can. These characters are likable. Trust me, you've spent enough time watching shows like Game of Thrones that will inevitably disappoint you by the end. And I love Game of Thrones. So the fact that that show disappointed you at the end, hey, that was on you to choose that show. And it was on me, too. But Avatar Last Last Airbender is one of the few shows with a satisfactory series finale. It's a wonderful finale with so much paying off. And the fact is that it still leaves some things in the dark because obviously we can't solve everything. I like the fact that the show does go out of its way to give you that finale that we need as an audience. It's not all like happily ever after, but it's not but it's also just really well done. It's it's a wonderful finale. It, this show is the type of program that deserves a thousand applause for how good it is. It really does. So, please watch Avatar Last Airbender. It is currently on Netflix. It is a show that is more more than worthy of your time. It is something that you can build time from and you can watch it with your family and talk a lot about what's going on in this show. So Avatar Last Airbender gets four stars from me. It's one of the great TV shows of all time and you should just watch it. Just watch Avatar Last Airbender beyond brilliant risk-taking television that I think you owe to yourself to watch. All right, so let's talk we're gonna talk about some movie news up next on Flicks and picks. You're listening to it on iHub Radio.
0: When you want to know what happened, and why, and what's next in the Coachella Valley, come here. iHub Radio, the local news talk authority. This is Flicks and Picks with Brian Mendoza. Call 760-544-TALK. That's 760-544-8255. Now here's Brian Mendoza.
1: So there's some pretty good news in the world of comic book film today. And especially good news for this time because HBO Max is coming up. And maybe a lot of people are just not sure how they feel about getting this new um streaming service because there is a lot of uncertainty about some people's financial futures because of what's going on with the COVID-19 so it is good news and it might incentivize some people to actually consider getting the streaming service a little bit later on in the year or even next year because in 2021 hbl max will be airing Zack snyder's version of justice league so what does this mean What does it mean? So for those of you who don't know, and I'm gonna be a little surprised if you don't know. Um, but hey, no shame though, because you know, film is such a big big world that sometimes it's a little hard to like know everything. So I I wouldn't be surprised if some people might have been out of the loop. So in 2017, Justice League was a movie that came out, and so there was a lot of discussion about its production problems. What had happened was That Zack Snyder completed filming 100% according to him, and that he actually finished a good amount of post-production. But what had happened was that Zack Snyder's, well, had a family tragedy. I won't get too much into it because, um, well, it's it's something you should read for yourself because that's not the focus here. But he had a tragedy that really did that in that implored him to leave the the movie. And so Joss Sweden came in and did some extensive, well, initially they weren't going to be extensive, but they became extensive rewrites and reshoots. And so Joss Whedon came in and pretty much radically changed the, dif- the film a little differently from what was in Zack Snyder's original vision. And Zack Snyder, according to him, said that the film was only had really about a fourth of his material in it and that's not a whole lot so a lot of fans are actually speculating that a version of Zack Snyder's film would actually be much better and they really do want to see how it would how it would be about the fact is that they compared it to like how Richard Donner's version of Superman 2 is different from Richard Lester's version of Superman 2 and how we both have uh, two versions of Superman 2 and obviously Richard Donner's version is better so they started thinking a lot of people say that it's kind of like that and it, and I do actually agree that it is very similar to that and that the Snyder Cut would actually be a version that would complete Zack Snyder's vision of the DC's extended universe and then we actually could see what how it would have been and whether or not it would be any good because the film itself is radically different because of the reshoots and so a lot of fans are wondering is it good this time? And hopefully it is. But the fact is that Zack Snyder is a filmmaker that un- to, due to unforeseen circumstances lost his vision. And now this is an opportunity for him to see his vision go through finally. It's an opportunity for filmmakers to finally feel that maybe one day their version of the film that they fortunately had to leave or maybe they lost will finally see the light of day. And so... This campaign for it has been really big, including comic cons and TV shows, animated TV shows, podcasts, uh, petitions have all been pushing for this cut to eventually come out. And so after three years later, after leaving the Justice League, Va- Zack Snyder has officially confirmed that the, Z- the Snyder cut is, a vi- is coming to HBO Max next year. So that's actually really awesome. And I'm very happy to say that I'm going to be reviewing it. But I also want to say that I'm very excited to see it because I do want Zack Snyder's vision to be out in the world, especially after a tragedy like that. And I think that he should make peace with the film, especially since film is a lot like children and that um, people have to want to nurture those films to be excellent, and I'm hoping that it's a good cut. If not, at least his version will be out there and the world can judge it for itself. So I'm very glad to hear that Zack Snyder's version is out. It'll be available on HBO Max in 2021. Next up, Batwoman has some drama going on. So it's not necessarily drama. I mean, I say it's drama, but Ruby Rose, the star of the Arrow versus, aka the CW's Batwoman, has left the program. She has been with the Arrowverse since 2018 and the show was renewed for a second season. What had happened was that people wanted were kind of expecting her to stick around for a second season, but um she actually said that she is no longer going to be on the show and that she's exiting it. And so the CW is actually pushing um, for her, uh, for a new actress, they do want an actress from the LGBT community because the character is a lesbian. So they're actually looking for someone that is on that community. So, if any, and and I'm kind of interested to see if they'll cast a well-known actress or a television actress or a complete unknown. And that some sources have said that maybe the onset tension would come from the fact that would 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 contribute to um, Ruby Rose leaving the show. And it seems like it was a mutual decision, even though some sources have claimed that it wasn't entirely her choice, and others are saying it was her choice, but it's kind of a weird, foggy situation. I gotta say... It is a bit sad to lose Ruby Rose on Arrowverse. I mean, I've never thought that she was an exceptional actress, but I feel like she added something to it that would be lost on another actress. And so this other actress has to come in and kind of hopefully add something of her own, and that would make it great for her. And the show did pick up along the way. So if you've never seen the show, uh, in its first couple episodes, it is bad. It is a very bad show, but it does actually get better, and I think that it is a very... Good show by the end of the day. So, and some fans have actually told me some people who like Arrowverse that it it does become better and it becomes more or less the best show on Arrowverse at this point. Not of all time, of course, but at this point. So it's a bit of a disappointment, but it's sad because a lot of there has been a lot of contention against her casting and the fact that just a lot of people like to say horrible things online, and it's just so disappointing and the discourse was pretty sexist for the most part and i'm gonna say that very loosely it's very it was a lot of it was misogynistic a lot of it was legit criticism granted but a lot of it was sexism so i can see why ruby rose would want to leave the show because boy it was not the best environment to be a fan online but we'll see i hope one day she can talk about it open more openly i would love to know what happened but for the most part, these are all alleged ideas that I'm pushing out there. I don't think that these, I don't know if these are all exactly true, but these are just things I've noticed. And finally, Disney Plus is finally going to fix The Simpsons. So what's going on there? The Simpsons actually aired in a 4 by 3 ratio back in the, for 17 seasons. The show, when it premiered on Disney Plus, was shown at a cropped 16 by 9 ratio the Simpsons is finally airing. Is going to be finally airing in its original four by three ratio, which will allow the show to have all the Simpsons be shown, and and that will no longer be cropped in its first 17 seasons. And this will be fixed on May 28th on Disney Plus. And hopefully, hopefully you you haven't binged enough of it that you don't get to appreciate The Simpsons at its full glory. Thank you for listening to Flicks and Picks. Scoob is a misguided but ultimately somewhat entertaining movie. Two stars. Go watch Scooby Doo on Zombie Island instead. And Avatar Last Airbender deserves its rightful place as the current number one trending show on Netflix. Thank you for listening on Flicks and Picks.